It is a wonderful time of year. December football is approaching. Playoff picture starting to heat up. And we just had the play of the year in the NFL. Great stuff. Welcome to Ahead of the Count on the Cannon Clark Podcast. I am your host, the Cannon Clark himself, Sean Clark. I am joined by Johnny Crane. Johnny, how are we doing this Gorgeous on a Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Well, we're doing good. At the time this was recorded, we just did another show previous before this that was over an hour long. So I am right in the sports talk mood. I'm in my prime, as they say in the sports world. So, hey, we got more stuff to talk about, more stuff to repeat. So let's go on. Let's go. Yes. Be sure to check out the Rich Report podcast is now both me and Johnny Crane are now co-hosts on that so be sure to check that out. Also be sure to check out the canpark.com with content both from both of us weekly. Johnny Crane does a great job with the surprise of the weeks every week. So be sure to check that out. Let's, let's get into this. All right. So NBA is not a sport we talk about very often on this podcast, but we are today because when we're recording this is the morning before the NBA draft, but we have a trade we want to discuss about now. I, right now, am in Arizona. Johnny, unfortunately, is not here in Arizona, but he was here in Arizona for four years. The the NBA team in Arizona, the Phoenix Suns, have made a big trade acquiring veteran point guard Chris Paul from the Oklahoma City Thunder for draft picks. This Phoenix Suns went 9-0 in the regular season bubble last year, but they fell short of the playoffs. Johnny, what do you think of this trade? Well, when you start, when you look at this trade from the Phoenix Suns perspective, the Phoenix Suns get what they have been lacking. When you look at the Suns roster last season, they had a lot of shooting, but they didn't have that much veteran and tangible experience and not that much defending as well. They could shoot the ball, but they really couldn't defend it. And in the Western Conference, with all the three-point shooters that there are, you have to defend the perimeter and you have to defend the inside and the free throw line. Chris Paul on the Phoenix Suns not only gives them a better defensive weapon, but also gives them that intangible factor of that veteran that has not only been there on competing teams, but has also been there on rebuilding teams. And while the Phoenix Suns at this stage of their rebuild really isn't a rebuild at this point, they're practically ready to compete and they almost got in the playoffs in the bubble this past season. This weapon for the Phoenix Suns solidifies Devin Booker as not purely a shooter, but Devin Booker can emphasize more on the shooting aspect. And Chris Paul can be more of the captain of the offense that keeps the offense running and going and feeding Devin Booker with those shots. So when you look at the Phoenix Suns from this trade perspective, they have a lot of youth, they have a lot of shooting, and now they added a veteran piece that can also do stuff on offense but also add in some veteran qualities and defensive qualities as well. So a really good trade for the Phoenix Suns, and it is definitely something that they need if they want to compete with the Los Angeles Lakers of the world, the Clippers of the world, the Golden State Warriors if they get healthy, so on and so forth. When you look at this from a Thunder perspective, well, they're practically doing what the Philadelphia 76ers did, but not with the tanking aspect tapped onto that. They're stocking up on draft picks. They have a ton of draft picks over the next several drafts, and that's not even looking at the drafts beyond 2025. And they're stacking up on quantity to get a lot of quality. And when you get a lot of quality in a Western conference where you need a lot of quality in your lineup and on your bench, 
while the Oklahoma City Thunder, if they hit on some of these picks, they're definitely going to be back in the thick of things very, very soon. And then without even looking at the draft picks, the players that they got, such as Kelly Oubre, they get a lot of high upside youthful players that can still be molded into something that Oklahoma City wants them to do for their team to either compete or to trade to get more picks later on. So overall, a great trade for the Thunder as well. I think this is a win-win for both sides. So we'll see how it plays out once the season starts. But as of right now, from what we've seen on paper, it looks like a really good trade for both. It does. The Oklahoma City Thunder were in the playoffs last season. They did lose to the Houston Rockets in the first round in seven games. But the Thunder show that they can perform with the players that they have. Yes, Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder now gone because Dennis Schroeder is now on the L.A. Lakers, which low-key is a very underrated pickup for the Lakers. There are developing players on the Thunder that are, that already have shown that they can be a vital piece going forward. Shai Gilgis Alexander is the point guard of the future. There's a reason why they, they felt comfortable shipping out Chris Paul because they know they're in good hands with Shai in the future. While Shai did make a lot of mistakes in the playoffs, he, he does have a lot of potential, and he's already proven to be a pretty good point guard in this league. Uh, Lou Dort, who is a defensive specialist, had some good offensive production in the playoffs, and if he can continue to build that offensive production, he can be good. Steven Adams has been a legit center in the NBA for years. And now you add Kelly Oubre, who, I, who is, has a lot of upside in the wing, and he, he already shown with Phoenix that he can be a good quality scoring wing in this league. So that's another good option there. The Thunder are going to be a French playoff team, and they have a lot of draft picks. That is, that is a very terrifying prospect for, for, the, for the upcoming future. And it, it's, similar to, it's similar to Miami. Miami is going to have a top five draft pick because the Houston Texans are stupid. The Dolphins are going to have a top five pick, and they're and they're already a legit playoff team. So when you have draft capital, and you're already a solid team, that's really really good. That's one of the best spots you can be in as a franchise. And I cannot wait to see what the Oklahoma City Thunder do going forward. As far as the Suns go, Chris Paul is a is a great facilitator. He's a top ten point guard of all time. I know he's never reached the conference finals in his career, but he's still a top 10 all-time point guard. He's a great facilitator, and he's basically Ricky Rubio, but a lot better. That's basically what Chris Paul is. Ricky Rubio was a floor general, and Chris Paul is just way better at it. So the Suns are going to take a step forward, and, and Mikael Bridges should take the role of Kelly Oubre. I think the Suns are going to make the playoffs, and whoever plays them in the playoffs, whether it be the Clippers, the Lakers, or even the Denver Nuggets, should be keep an eye out for this team because they're going to be pretty good. It would not surprise me if the Suns end up in the four or five game in the Western Conference, which I think is very realistic at this point. Moving on from basketball to soccer. I know soccer is, is, is more emphasized on our previous, on the Candy Clark podcast, previous segment blinded by sports, but hey, we still talk soccer on a heads account as well. The MLS playoffs start this weekend. Oh, yeah. Me and Johnny Crane are about to butt heads this weekend because our favorite MLS teams, mine, Minnesota United, is going to play Johnny's favorite club, the Colorado Rapids. Now, before we get to that, we're, what we're going to do is we're just going to we're just, we're just going to do like we did with like I did with Colin Fuchs and Blind by Sports is 
is is go through each matchup and just and just pick a winner and give a brief description as to why. So we have two playoff games, playing games in the Eastern Conference due to the fact that the Eastern Conference has two more teams. So they want to have playing games to determine who the seven and eight seeds are. First, we have the battle of the expansions. Nashville SC versus Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami has gone on a charge at the end of the season. While Nashville has been good all around the season. Johnny, who do you got winning that match? When you look at both expansion franchises, they've both had some they've had some pretty solid success as an expansion franchise. However, if I'm going to pick one over the other, if you're going to win and you're going to go deep in any postseason, you have to have good defense and good goalkeeping. I know you're not too high on goalkeeping like I am, but when you compare Inter-Miami's goals, goals conceded to Nashville's, Nashville easily takes the cake. I think they're more well-rounded on the defensive and offensive side. I'll take Nashville. Walker Zimmerman is one of, if not the best center backs in the entire MLS. I think that that he helps keep into Miami off the scoreboard, and I think he get he, he gets a header in off the corner to give Nashville a one 0 win. Now, how about the other one? Arsenal legend Thierry Henry, the best player in Arsenal history, is managing Montreal Impact as they take on Bruce Arena. Yes, the same manager who lost to Trinidad and Tobago. On, on the U.S. men's national team that knocked them out of the World Cup. These two managers are squaring off Montreal Impact versus New England Revolution. Who do you got? It's kind of a tough one. It's kind of the coin flip. You know, when you see these play-in matchups, they kind of remind me of those play-in matchups in March Madness. They can kind of go either way. I know you like Arsenal. I know you have the history with Montreal Impacts at Coach. You know what? I'm going to go with Montreal. I just have that feeling. I'll just go with that one. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Montreal Impact has conceded the, the most goals in the Eastern Conference, and I think that New England is going to take advantage of a weak Montreal backline, and they will advance in the postseason. So this means that in the Eastern Conference, that the New England Revolution are going to play the Philadelphia Union, so New England versus Philadelphia. Gee, where have we seen this before? And the Nashville SC will take on Toronto FC. Johnny, do both Philadelphia and Toronto get it done against the, the two Eastern Conference plans? They very well easily should. When you look at the Eastern Conference and you compare it to the Western Conference, Philadelphia Union and Toronto FC not only are the best clubs in the Eastern Conference, they're probably the best clubs in all of MLS. Eastern Conference to me this year was a lot, a little bit deeper and there was a lot more good parity as opposed to the Western Conference, had, which had less parity, in my opinion. They both score a lot of goals. They both have really great goaltending. Philadelphia Union is undefeated at home. So I'm going to take the Philadelphia Union and Toronto FC to beat both of those clubs. I agree as well. All right, Johnny, you wrote about this club, the Columbus Crew. You wrote about them in your surprise of the week. You should check that out. They take on the New York Red Bulls. Do you see the Columbus crew continuing their great season or do the Red Bulls shock the crew? I know Columbus crew kind of went on a little bit of an inconsistent stretch at the end, I'm pretty sure. But at home, they are still very, very good and they still have excellent goaltending and they have just enough offense more so than last year to supplement that good goaltending and such. I think Columbus does pull this out. Now in the later rounds, 
that might be a little bit of a problem. But as of this matchup, I'll take the Columbus crew as well. Over. Tyler Adams is gone. Bradley Wright Phillips is gone. Uh, Kaku is gone. A lot of legit New York Red Bull players have left the club in the last few years. They just aren't the same Red Bulls team that was at the top of the Eastern Conference. Tom, if Tom Barlow is your, your go-to scorer, that's a problem. No offense to Tom Barlow, but the, the, the Red Bulls are just not what they used to be. I think the Columbus takes it 1-0 in a defensive slugfest, and I think Jazzy Zardes does get the late goal. All right. Out of all the MLS first-round matchups, this is the one that I think I know who's going to win, but I'm not fully confident on this, and that is NYC FC taking on Orlando SC, City SC. Johnny, who do you have winning this very intriguing matchup? NYC FC I really liked a lot last season. They had really, they're kind of, they were kind of in the same boat as Columbus Crew is in this year. They had really good defending, really good goaltending last season. This season has been a little bit of a different story. Orlando's been that up and coming, big rising power in the Eastern Conference. It's kind of a coin flip matchup too. It can kind of go either way. Four and five seed. That's usually what happens. I think when you look at when you look at the goals for and the goals conceded, they're practically identical. Orlando City has scored 40 goals. NYCFC has scored 37. They've both conceded 25. So it's really a coin flip. I think Orlando City, I've watched them several times. I think that they move the ball a little bit better and they're a little more fluid and aggressive on their offensive style. And maybe one long pass is all it takes. And I think that might be the difference in that game. I'm going to go with the rising power in Orlando City. I completely agree. Chris Miller has been an absolute stud for Orlando City this last part of the season. And as Nani displayed in the MLS's back tournament, he can be a legit scoring option and make special plays. He had an insane long shot to help eliminate Minnesota United in the MLS's back tournament semifinal. I think Orlando takes this, but I can't count out Maxi Morales, who is one of the best playmakers in the MLS. It, this is going to be close, but I just think Orlando has a little more weapons. All right, moving on to the Western Conference. Sporting KC has shocked everyone and are the top seed in the West. Do they take care of business against the Earthquakes? Earthquakes are a very intriguing team. Like I mentioned earlier, the Western Conference has a lot more parity top to bottom in the playoff field as opposed to the Eastern Conference, but it's a lot weaker parity. As in, a lot of these teams, they could go far or they could get knocked out in the first round. It's kind of a coin flip. When you look at the Eastern Conference, there's a lot more super team power in the Philadelphia Union and Toronto FC. I think in regard to that, I know you don't like Sporting KC. I think they're a very technical team. It can be kind of a painful thing to watch at times watching them but even though the quakes have been intriguing to watch i think i'm going to take casey to take the cake in this game let's flash back to 2018 lafc in their first ever playoff they took on real salt lake and real salt lake went in there and won five to three over lafc to me real real salt lake was the more technical team and LSC was the more offensive team, and LAFC lost. However, with the way soccer is continuing to evolve, more, more explosive teams are winning now. Just look at the Premier League where you're where you're just seeing you're just seeing insane shootouts left and right. So 
Offenses like in the NFL have gotten increasingly better over the last several years in all sports, baseball as well, as you can attest, Mr. Crane. So because of that, the game has changed a little bit. And I think the Earthquakes pull off the shocker. And I'm not just saying that because Sporting KC is the rival of my favorite club. Sporting KC, I have seen them time and time again choke in the playoffs like they did two years ago against the Timbers. Chris Wondolowski can get hot. And because this is only a one-match format, a lot can happen. And I truly believe that the San Jose Earthquakes, they have enough dynamic on the attack to be able to knock off a technical Sporting KC who tends to get a little too aggressive. I just got this gut feeling that it's going to be 1-1 late and Sporting KC is going to commit a foul on Wondolowski in the penalty box and Wondolowski is going to, going to kick home the penalty and San Jose pulls off the shocking upset 2-1. to one. Okay, I think I know where this is going to go. All right. To just say the Rapids are going to beat Minnesota. All right, let, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Well, I can't just flat out say that. Colorado Rapids have been practically the Orlando City of the Western Conference, a very young team, up-and-coming team, and a very balanced team. Over 10 players have scored at least one goal this year. Jonathan Lewis and Cole Bassett lead the way with five goals apiece, followed by Andre Shinyashiki with four. I think the balance, the speed, the youth, I think it plays into their favor. They pretty much are playing with house money. A lot of teams and a lot of people and fans really didn't see the Rapids making the playoffs this year. They were kind of in the same boat as the Arizona Cardinals that we'll talk about in a bit, maybe another year or so in the rebuild, and then they'll start to compete. But COVID pandemic aside, they are in the playoffs. And I think given the depth and balance and youth and just free-flowing style they can play with, again, with playing with house money. I think they can give Minnesota a good run for their money and eventually overtake Minnesota to win. Is that the answer you want? That's the answer I was expecting. Now, look, Colin Fuchs also picked Colorado. I I'm sorry. I, I, I can't agree. Now, I get, I get the points, everything you mentioned. The fact that, that Colorado has played the fewest matches of any club in the MLS, which means they're the freshest. They're also very young and dynamic. I get all that. And I, I still think Minnesota's going to win, though. And I promise that is not my bias speaking. When I look at Minnesota, they have playmakers at the midfield. They also are very good in the back line. Dane Sinclair has stepped up in the absence of Tyler Miller, who suffered an injury in the MLS's back tournament. Osvaldo Alonso has been one of the best central defensive midfielders He's basically the MLS Nagola Conte is the best way I can sum it up. He is, he's very aggressive. He is very defensive minded and is phenomenal back there. Ike Parra has won two of the last four ML, uh, MLS defenders of the year. He is an absolute stud in the backfield. You have Romeo Mentonaire as, as a very dependable right back. Robin Lode with nine goals this season at the midfield. I think that, and I think that what Lode ends up doing is he will score a goal and he'll set up Luis Almarela for the winning goal. And I think Minnesota barely takes it. So long as, so long as Ethan Finley doesn't ruin every single chance that Minnesota has like he did last year against the LA Galaxy. I have the videos to prove that too. I will gladly watch them again. And I'd like for it to happen again too. But anyway, keep it going, Sean. 
Yes, last year Johnny Crane watched me and Cameron Richardson's favorite club, the LA County Scrub from the finals, and Ethan Finley was absolutely terrible. Ethan, look, if you have a great performance and help Minnesota beat Colorado, I'll forgive you for what you did last year. But you, you got to show up here, man, because I do not want to see that playoff performance again because, ooh, that was rough. All right, but let's close with this. Portland plays FC Dallas and Seattle plays LAFC. LAFC is not the juggernaut they were last season. They're very banged up and shorthanded as Diego Rossi's not going to play. Portland, Seattle is the greatest robber in the MLS. Plain and simple. Anyone who knows the MLS knows that Portland and Seattle is the greatest robber in the MLS. Are, are they going to are they going to take care of Bins and face each other in the next round? Which, by the way, since since Johnny Evil and Reason got in the MLS. Watch the highlights of 2018 playoffs, Portland versus Seattle, when you get the chance. Both me and Cameron agree that that was one of the best soccer matches we have ever seen, the second of the two matches. Are we going to see a rematch of that from 2018? Are both Portland and Seattle going to get it done? I think Portland should easily be able to get it done. I think LAFC, if they had Rossi, could have given Seattle a run for their money, but given the fact that Rossi is not going to play. Rossi had a really good year, shortened season aside. He had 14 goals and only 19 games started, as opposed to he had 16 and over 30 games started last year. So he was kind of LAFC's go-to scoring option this year that also has Carlos Vela. So I think without Rossi, a lot of their firepower is taken away. Seattle, they've had some injury issues. They've had some inconsistencies. Again, going back to the Western Conference parity. But I think with their scores intact, and given the fact that LAFC is without their primary score, I think Seattle should also be able to get it done. I completely agree as well. If Portland Seattle play each other again, that is going to be a must-watch for any for any soccer fan. That that would be just truly phenomenal. I hope I hope it is just as good as as the deciding match two years ago in the greatest MLS game I have seen so far. All right, let's move from football to football. All right, oh my gosh. We had the moment of the season in the NFL where Kyler Murray rolled out to his left and out of a la Aaron Rodgers five years ago against the Cardinals, chucked a prayer across his body and DeAndre Hopkins triple covered by Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer, three legit defenders and all pros and pro bowlers made up, went, made the catch and gave the Arizona Cardinals the 32-30 win over the, the, the previously 7-2 Buffalo Bills. Wow. I, the whole country lost their minds when that happened. I lost my mind. You probably lost your mind too. After, after this podcast is recorded, uh, you will have your surprise of the week. Talking about the Arizona Cardinals, check that out. But Johnny, tell us what you thought of this. The the, the moment of the year, Cardinals are now 6-3. What did you think about this? I think this was not only the moment of the year, this was the statement of the year. When you look at the Arizona Cardinals coming into the season, sophomore campaign for Kyla Mori and head coach Cliff Kingsbury, some people thought there needed to be a little more development on the offensive and defensive side, maybe another rebuild slash retool year. And then next season that go, they go full guns ablazing for competing. But with this game and more importantly, what Hopkins brings and why they brought him in in the off season, 
they're ready to compete now. And when you look at the NFC playoff picture, there's a lot of parity again, kind of like the Western Conference in MLS. That's, this kind of game for the Cardinals is significant because this tells everybody and this tells the NFC that the Cardinals are ready to compete now. Kyler Murray, mobile, can have the arm and have the arm strength to make those kind of plays down the field and more importantly has the clutchness to make that play down the field. He kind of resembles Lamar Jackson if Lamar Jackson had that clutch factor, but as we've seen so far in Lamar Jackson's career, he hasn't had that clutch factor yet, even though he has all those other talents. Kyler Murray has already unlocked that talent and that clutchness, and throwing to a go-to wide receiver, top three wide receiver threat in Hopkins only lengthens and shows how scary Arizona's offense can be in a potential playoff scenario. And with that offense, with that college offense mindset under Kingsbury, that could give any opposing defense in the NFC a good run for their money. And more importantly, not saying the Arizona Cardinals are going to go to the Super Bowl, but if their aspirations are for the Super Bowl, they need that down-the-field threat target in Hopkins and that multidimensional talent in Murray to go up against the Patrick Mahomes of the world, the potential Tua Tagovailoa's of the world, should they eventually get there. Those are the kind of players you're going to face. Those are the kind of teams you're going to have to beat if you want to go all the way. And as we saw against the Buffalo Bills, the Cardinals have the potential to do that in primetime games. You mentioned their Super Bowl aspirations, and I think they're very valid considering that the NFC is a lot weaker this season than it was a year ago. A year ago, there was a lot of good teams, but the San Francisco 49ers were a juggernaut. They were not going to be denied the NFC Championship last year. But this year is very wide open. You have the Packers, who are very meh, like they were last year, relatively speaking. The Saints, while they're still good, they have they're not – they're not the Saints of 2018 that just dominated everybody for most of the season. NFC East, uh, do I even have to go into that? And the, the, the rest of the NFC West, which Rams are good, so I'm excited to see. Remember, the Cardinals have not played the Rams yet. So I'm very intrigued to see how those two matches go, considering that the Rams have a very good defense. And the Seahawks' defense is, absolute, is historically awful. And also the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're good, but they, they lack a consistent identity. So the Arizona Cardinals do have Super Bowl aspirations. And the biggest reason why they do have Super Bowl aspirations is because, all right, look, I sometimes nail how good quarterbacks are going to be in drafts. I sometimes, I sometimes am wrong, but let's be real. None, none of us are 100% accurate on how good NFL quarterbacks are going to be. None of us. No one thought Patrick Mahomes would be an MVP and Super Bowl MVP in his first two years in the league. Like, yeah, I have to say this is like, I knew exactly what kind of quarterback Jared Goff was going to be. He was going to be like Philip Rivers, put up a lot of stats, but not quite a championship winning quarterback. I got that right. What I've got wrong is I didn't think Justin Herbert would be that very good. And I've been completely, that, that, that has been my biggest whip. Okay. I, I'll admit it. I whiffed on that. I whiffed. I, I, I will admit it. Kyler Murray, here's what, here's what I said about Kyler Murray. I said he can be a very good quarterback in this league, but the problem is I don't know if he can stay healthy. I worried that he was going to be like RG3, where very good early, but then gets injured. I am half right. He has been healthy, and he has been a very good quarterback. And the reason I'm not worried about Kyler Murray getting injured is because Kyler Murray 
with his baseball experience, knows how to avoid hits. He's very shifty. He's very elusive. And unlike RG3, he, he knows how to slide. RG3 should have taken practice, should have taken lessons from the Washington Nationals on how to slide because he didn't know what, what how to slide. But Kyler Murray does ex- exceptionally well. He knows how to avoid contact. And that's why I'm not worried about the health, long-term health of Kyler Murray. But also on the on the Hale Murray, yes, yes, that that's that that's the official name of of it, the Hale Murray. Trademarket. Murray shoved the ball fifty yards across his body, which not many quarterbacks can do. That not many quarterbacks can wall to the pocket and just chuck it fifty yards. I don't even fully know if Justin Herbert can do that. He does have great arm talent, but but his game is more a pocket. It. Is, is is more from the pocket. So I don't even know if Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow could make a throw like that. Kyler Murray is a special talent. And the fact that he's been completely healthy shows that the Arizona Cardinals have found their franchise quarterback. He's the best quarterback they've had. Carson Palmer was great, don't get me wrong, but he had Bruce Arians and a loaded system and a good defense. He's the best quarterback they've had since Kurt Warner, which was, as someone who who had both of the both of my parents their favorite all-time player was Kurt Warner and that was an exciting Cardinals offense this is reminding Arizona Cardinals and Kurt Warner fans of that offense just with a little more elusivity because Kurt Warner was the slowest quarterback I've ever seen so the Cardinals their future is insanely bright they got DeAndre Hopkins and I cannot wait to see what they do this postseason, assuming that they get there. Tomorrow night, they play the Seahawks. I hope it's just as good as it was the first time because my oh my, that first, that first game was incredible. So let's transition to the Buffalo Bills a little bit. So the AFC playoff picture, oh, <laughs> this AFC playoff picture looks insane. And that's not a word I, I use lightly. We have six teams in the AFC that are six and three. Six. And the three teams in the playoffs that aren't six and three are seven and three, and that's the Bills, the eight and one Kansas City Chiefs, and the nine and zero Pittsburgh Steelers. We have nine legit teams in the AFC here that, 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 that either are good playoff teams or can make the playoffs. So, Johnny, what do you make of this AFC playoff picture? Who, who do you think are the two teams that will be outside looking in in the current seven-game format? And, and and what do you see as far as how teams stack up against one another? Well, first off, when you compare the AFC to the NFC, like you said, it's leaps and bounds way better than anything the NFC can muster together. Nine teams, and even when you're, you're not even looking at those really good playoff contender kind of teams, even the spoiler kind of teams and the rebuilding teams are way better. Justin Herbert and the Chargers, yep, their record's not that good. That's true. But they can still score a lot of points. They have a lot of weapons. The Cincinnati Bengals, still a year away. They have Joe Burrow. He's been pretty good. They can score a lot of points. The list goes on and on. Even the spoiler teams you really don't want to play in December. The AFC is that deep. But on that note, when you look at the playoff teams, I think when you look at the likes of the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans, I think they are kind of at a disadvantage when you compare those teams to the rest of the contending teams. Yes, the Tennessee Titans have Derrick Henry. Yes, Ryan Tannehill has looked pretty solid, but their secondary has been pretty questionable. They don't get a lot of takeaways. They're not that aggressive. Offensive line, again, is okay. They can control the clock, 
But once you're going up against the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Tua Tagovailoa eventually, oh, those kind of quarterbacks that can chuck the ball down the field a long ways, if your secondary gets blown and they score a lot of points, you're having to play catch-up, and you can't really manage the clock like you would otherwise. Tennessee Titans, Cleveland Browns, poorest secondaries. And I think the Cleveland Browns might be even at even more of a disadvantage considering the fact that the case is still out on Baker Mayfield and he's without one of his weapons and Odell Beckham Jr. Now, I get it. The chemistry between Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield might not have been the greatest, but without Odell Beckham Jr., the coverage is really going to be more so on mitigating and holding on to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and Jarvis Landry. More coverage is going to be put on them. More emphasis is going to be put on them because Odell Beckham Jr. is not on the field. So in that regard, I think those two teams are going to be at a disadvantage. When you look at the rest of the teams, it's pretty much a free-for-all, like the Wild West. When you look at Tua Tagovailoa of the Miami Dolphins, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the list goes on. All those teams have really good qualities, but can they stack up against the Kansas City Chiefs? Yes, I know the Kansas City Chiefs currently do not possess the only buy. The Pittsburgh Steelers do. But what the Kansas City Chiefs have, oh, well, someone by the name of Patrick Mahomes who can literally change a play over the course of one play, one drive, one throw. And then when you add the fact that they have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at running back and now Le'Veon Bell, they added another point of emphasis on that offense for Andy Reid to mess with so can the offenses go up against that offense can other offenses win shootouts against the Chiefs that's going to be the x factor of the AFC playoff picture and that will be the x factor especially when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers yes their defense is really good really aggressive but can Big Ben make those big throws that he did five six years ago to potentially offset any Patrick Mahomes throw down the field for 65 yards and a touchdown. That'll be the key for any team, and especially for the Steelers. I did write my Week 10 NFL takeaways, so I do cover several of these points in that article, but I think the Tennessee Titans are missing the playoffs. Their, their secondary is porous. Their offensive line is getting more and more injured. Adam Humphreys has been out. He's their slot guy, so they don't have an over-the-middle threat. You, you have a pass rush that just cannot really get to the quarterback to some bases. I don't know why they traded Jarrell Casey for a seventh-round pick this offseason. They could have really used him right now. The Titans basically had Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown. And, and I'll throw in John New Smith as well. They basically have those players just to carry the team. And with a, with a porous defense, that's not a good recipe in the NFL. Because, you know, football, there's 22 guys on the field, not four. So I, and with the Titans, they only have two home games left this season. We're in mid-November and they only have two weeks left in the season. So I think the Titans are in royal trouble. I don't think, I think they'll be one of the two teams that are also looking at it. And as far as the other one, I think it's highly possible it could be the Ravens. Now I'm not just saying that because I don't like him, but Lamar Jackson has shown that he can't consistently pass the ball and teams are starting to figure out how to stop him. Heck, the Patriots stopped them. Now, I get it was conditions. I get that. But at the same time, though, where was this against Pittsburgh when you when the Ravens vastly outplayed them? I I don't I don't understand how how the Ravens can possibly continue to keep this up without a legit passing game. 
Lamar Jackson's success passing the ball last season because teams were not expecting them to pass the ball up. But now the teams had a whole offseason to figure him out. They're just like, okay, so this is how we're going to stop him. We're going to, we're going to take away the passing lanes and we're going to have at least one or two spies on Lamar Jackson to prevent him from having huge gains. So the Ravens have, been, have become predictable. And the Ravens do play the Titans and Steelers next two games, and it's not guaranteed they win either or both, or they could lose both of those games. Now, I do think they beat the Titans, but I think they do lose to the Steelers again. I think the Steelers will play much better than they did in their previous matchup. And the reason why I think the Browns might get it over the Ravens, which is a bit shaky, I'm just, I'm just guessing for the most part. Nick Chubb is back for the Browns, and their offense looks completely different. You wrote about the rush, their Browns rushing attack in one of your surprise of the weeks. Basically, your first NFL surprise of the week, think about it, because all the way back in week two. Yeah, Nick Chubb is the difference maker for the Browns offense. If he and Kareem Hunt can stay healthy, they're going to be a tough out for any team going forward. And the and I think the Browns will find success. I, success. I think the both the Bills and Dolphins make the playoffs. I think the Dolphins are a legit playoff team. I think they're one of the best teams in the AFC. They have a very good defense. They have a very good special teams. Tua doesn't make mistakes. And how about Savon Ahmed? 85 rushing yards in a touchdown against the Chargers. I know it was the Chargers. But that was the, the Dolphins' second best rushing performance this season. That, that, that bolds really well for the Miami Dolphins going forward. I think the Bills make the playoffs. I think the Las Vegas Raiders make the playoffs. They're very dynamic on offense. They have multiple big deep threat receivers. And Josh Jacobs is a top five running back in the NFL. And the Raiders defense is improving. So I do think the Raiders will find themselves in the playoffs as well. Also, it helps that they're in a weaker division. Yes, they do play the Chiefs next week, but they have the they all they still have games against the Broncos and Chargers. They've already beaten both of them the last two weeks, and they should beat them again. So I think the I think the Ravens and Titans who faced each other in the playoffs last year I think right as of right now I think they're the two teams on the outside looking in which is in, insane. It's just how loaded the AFC is this year. Who would have thought the Dolphins would be one would be a top ten team in the NFL? Not me. I didn't expect that. It so, wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Dolphins are a potential dark horse, not Super Bowl favorite but a dark horse team to go relatively deep in the playoffs. Because like you mentioned, they have a really good improving defense. They have a quarterback that has not made mistakes yet. And then they have a practically an option kind of style of running back game that kind of the Rams are doing too. Yes, Ahmed was really good. They also have Miles Gaskin, who's currently on IR, but he's been really good. And once he gets back, that just further emphasizes on their offense and what that offense can be with Tua at their disposal. So I think... The Miami Dolphins, how they do up against the Steelers and the Chiefs is yet to be seen if they get that far. But as of right now, they have a lot of youthful upside on both sides of the ball to really make a case for a deep run. The Dolphins' next three games are against the Broncos, who've looked terrible against the Las Vegas Raiders this past weekend, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the New York Jets. Most likely, they'll be 9-3, and three, and, then, and then they're going to play the Chiefs at home. Now, as now my NFL historian brain has got to point out, whenever the Chiefs go to Miami, it doesn't usually work out very well. 1971, 1990, 1994, Chiefs lost in the playoffs in Miami. I know that has nothing to do with now, but Miami is a tough place to play year-round. They have Miami's low-key one of the best home field advantages, and especially that, that Miami is one of the few that allow fans, even like mostly full capacity, because Florida is 
crazy right now with with COVID. That's going to be an electric atmosphere. And I think Chiefs and Dolphins, especially if the Dolphins are 9-3, whoo, that's going to be a must-watch game. That's good. That's going to be a must-watch game. The, the, the Dolphins are legit. I can't wait to see how they continue forward. And, I just, and you brought Miles Gaskin. What is it with the Dolphins and Washington Husky running backs? Uh, that, that's something I just now realized. Thank you, Mr. Crane. I just now realized that. All right, that is going to do it for episode 17 of Ahead of the Count on the Canyon Park Podcast. Johnny, any final words before we sign off? A lot of sports talk over the past two hours, including the Rich Report and now with you. I'm glad to be doing it. I love doing it with y'all. Thank you for the opportunity. We'll do it again next week. It, it is our pleasure. Like I said at the beginning of the sh- it, at the beginning of the show, be sure to check out CanyonClark.com for co- for content posted often weekly. Be sure to check out the Cano Clark Spotify. Be sure to check out the Rich Report for our podcast. As like I said, we are both now the full-time co-hosts for that podcast. So fun, fun stuff happens there. So be sure to check that out. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny, for coming on as always. It is always great to have you on. For Johnny Crane, I am Sean Clark. This was Ahead of the Count. And for Colin Fuchs on Blinded by Sports in the previous segment, we will see you next week. Have a great weekend.